Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. I'm really happy right now to welcome author Tina Reardon to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Tina, thank you for coming on the show tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I look forward to our time together. As do I. You got a new book out now. It's called Wyatt's Search for the Hidden Treasure. Could you tell me what it's all about? Yes, the book is about a boy named Wyatt and his teddy in search of this mysterious treasure that doesn't rot or rust and invites readers to join in the adventure to find out together what that is. When you were writing it, did you have a target readership in mind? Really mainly for my grandson. It ranges from ages 3 to 4 to maybe 10, 11, depending on the kid and their ability for reading. So what was your inspiration or what persuaded you to sit down and write this? Well, my grandson, I wanted to write a story so that one day it would help him lead him to a personal relationship with Christ. And that's really the inspiration behind the story. Mm. And I really didn't have any intention or inclination to publish it. It was just mainly for him. And I was talking to the person working at Christian Faith Publishing and on another project, and I happened to mention the book, and she wanted me to send the story to her. So I did, and she said she liked it and wanted to present it to the board. Oh, that's great. I know, and here we are. (laughs) Wow, wow. Have you been published before? No, not at all. This is the first book. Wow, congratulations. That's such a big thing. How's it feel? It doesn't always feel real, you know? (laughs) When I go and, say, look on Amazon or other places where you can purchase the book, I just look at it going, is that for real? (laughs) (laughs) That's really me? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Wow, wow. Do you have any advice now for others who are looking to write and publish for the first time? Be patient. Uh, Trust God's timing and don't lose hope for nothing's impossible with God. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, do you plan on writing more? Yes, I do. I have a project that's in its first draft, and it's kind of a ways to go before anyone can look at it yet and, and have a few more ideas for the book on Wyatt's adventures, but nothing's on paper yet. I'm just trusting God for that timing right now. We're mm. just trying to get this all going and see where it goes. Mm. When you sit down to write, do you ever get a writer's block sort of situation facing you? I don't think it's so much writer's block as it is staying focused Mm. and disciplined to do it. I don't really get writer's block per se. I just need to just set time aside and go (laughs) and and write. There's so many things out there pulling for our attention, so it is definitely... Oh, it is. That's a huge issue. So many authors tell me about that. I just wish I could focus for longer because there's so many things going on. There is, you know. It, it's so true. Yeah. The book's out there right now. Again, it's called Wyatt's Search for the Hidden Treasure. 
It's by Tina Reardon and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Tina, thank you for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time talking with you. Me too, and thank you for the time and look forward to what the future holds. The Fallen Angels, Brothers, is the new exciting novel that's out now. The author, M.K., is here with me now. M.K., thank you for chatting with me here tonight. Thanks for letting me be here. Can you tell me what The Fallen Angels, Brothers is all about? It's a fantasy novel that's basically about four brothers who go on like a life-altering journey to avenge themselves after being attacked by a powerful demon. How did the idea for this or the inspiration to write this story come about? I can't really say what the exact inspiration was because it was kind of a lot of things. It was some music, games, shows that I would watch, all of it kind of just compiled together and created a large story. So are you a fantasy genre reader yourself? Typically, books I read would normally be like fantasy or maybe some kind of mystery genre, something along those lines. Have you ever written before? Have you ever been published? This would be my first published work. Otherwise, I've written short stories and stuff, but not published. Wow, congratulations on that. Now, jumping from the short story format into the novel format, it's a big jump, a lot more words to write. (laughs) How did that go? It was interesting because this was actually just going to be a short story, but then I thought, you know, I could expand this, I could make it bigger, and it was just kind of like a steady flow kind of happened. Well, that's fantastic. How does it feel to actually have a novel out there, your very first one? It's kind of overwhelming because it was like a four-year process, and I didn't know if I'd ever like get this far. I didn't know if it'd ever be published, so it's kind of really cool and really overwhelming to see it in person. Wow. What was your biggest challenge along the way? Biggest challenge is definitely self-motivation. Like There were times where it kind of felt like it wasn't going to happen, so I had to convince myself, hey, you'll get there. It'll get out there. People will enjoy it. You just got to keep convincing yourself that it'll happen. Hmm. Do you ever get writer's block? There were days where I'd get writer's block, kind of just in the sense that I didn't know how to continue the story or I didn't know where I wanted to go with it at some point. How did you get through that? Did you step away from it? Is there some sort of inspiration you would go to? The best way for me to have gotten over it was to just write out tons of different scenarios and see which one I wanted to continue with. Well, that's fantastic. Now that you've written a a full novel, is there more? Is there maybe a follow-up in the works or something else? Yeah, I definitely plan on it at least being a three-part series, Hmm. maybe prequels, but that's like later down the line to see how far it really goes. But that's my future plans for it. Otherwise, I plan on doing like other works besides just this. Are you maybe exploring other genres? Yeah, definitely other genres. Like I have in hopes of sci-fi mystery genre sort of thing. Hmm. Do you have any advice for authors that are trying to write their first novel and trying to get published for the first time? Yeah, definitely just if you have an idea like ever, just even if it's the most far-fetched idea, just write it down somewhere because you never know if you'll ever go back to it. And if you do, it might become something bigger than you ever imagined it would be. And a lot of times if you don't write it down right away, it's gone. And Yeah, you forget about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, very important. That's, that's great advice. Do you have a, maybe a person in your life that has been most influential, inspirational, maybe supportive of you in your writing journey? One of the most influential was my cousin, who actually was one of the first people to look at some of my old drafts and help me out with them and stuff. And she's been very encouraging and very supporting. But 
I can't just like, usually I can't put it on one person because I should say my entire family and all my friends have been very supportive as well. MK, again, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of you out there in stores. It's called The Fallen Angels, Brothers. It's published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, brick-and-mortar stores, and, of course, this is written by MK. MK, thank you again for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. I had a good time talking. Thanks for having me. I appreciate talking to you, and I enjoyed it myself. I'm happy to be talking with author Wendell E. McGee Jr. here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Wendell, thank you for joining me tonight. Man, thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's a pleasure, man. This is truly a blessing. Glad to be talking with you. Uh, you got a new book out now. It's called Set the Captives Free. What's this all about? Set the Captives Free. You know that I grew up in a household of pastors and ministers, deacons in the Baptist church. But when I was born, I had an incident. My family used to tell me about it certain times, especially my TTO remind me about it. <laughs> it was when I was born. My mother's umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck and I was blue black when I came out. So in hearing that testimony from each TT, whether it be them teasing or getting on me or something, when I would study, because my mom is a speech pathologist, so I'm in the books, and she's always correcting my speech, finding out that the Father is the Word. He's the Word. He's the Word. He's what you say and hear, and you're feeding on Him every day. So coming from Mississippi, in the backwoods, and from that, that culture coming out, and finding out that I was born dead and that the Lord raised me up and, and finding out about the resurrection and these dreams that I had. And one dream was being elevated above Atlanta Falcons baseball team. It was like in the late 70s, 70s, early 80s. I was elevated above that field watching them play a game. I don't know who they were playing against, but when they played in the World Series these last couple of years and they played against the Phillies, <laughs> that was like, wow, you know? Wow. So free the captivity, man. Be free of all life's in the spirit, I'm speaking of the laws of sin and death. If, when you're free of the law of sin and death and you know who you are in the Father through His Son, the joy of that, the strength in that, I just can't help but share it. Mm. So when the Father put that dream on me to play baseball, I knew that at the end I would share. It would be my testimony coming from Revelations 19.10. And to be able to write a book, and I've written, I've been writing for a while, but it was like the last book that I wrote was the first to come out. And I saw that's how it was going to be. He's the first and the last. And the way that this book was, it came to me. I mean, I wrote like, I could wake up at like three o'clock in the morning. He'd give me something in a dream. I wouldn't hesitate. I would just get up and write. Wouldn't change a thing. Just write what he would give me and just share it to my brothers and sisters out there, especially my fans. I call them brothers and sisters because they come out there, they share their time and their wealth with us. And we just want to give them the best that we got in truth and spirit. And there it is. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Wow, that's a great message. How long were you working on this? That's the thing. I've been writing. I have like two other books coming out back to back. The next one is called New Beginning. And the third one is going to be called Egesis, which is talking about the resurrected body of Christ. So, so this one is Set the Captives Free. The next one is going to come out. I'm on it right now. As a matter of fact, they're doing it right now as we speak. I got dates in it. And I put those in certain pages that I put dates. I put those in this because I knew if somebody would ask how long have you been on this one, that the dates on there, like September the 19th, 2019, end of 2018. Somewhere right around in there, I started writing on this one. It was the last one, and I put the last one out first. Well, Wendell, thank you for telling your story to the world and 
and for looking to get your message out there. Congratulations on getting this book published. Man, thank you for having me. Thank you all for having me this morning. Good morning and Happy New Year. God bless you all. Hallelujah. Again, the title of the book is Set the Captives Free by Wendell E. McGee Jr. It's published by Fulton Books. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you buy books. Well, Wendell, thanks again for talking here tonight. I had a great time talking with you. You too, bro. Thank you for having me. Author Sharon Washington is joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Her new book is in stores now, and it's titled Misery Traps, The American Family. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about Misery Traps? What's your book about? Well, it's about automatic joint custody for both fit parents with primary custody initially awarded to the mother and the custody awarded in a manner to maximize the time that each parent has with the child and that is respectful of all the schedules of all the parties. Because the goal in this country is for every child to have the best life possible so we can have the best society. What gave you the inspiration or the idea to write this? It started with my childhood experience. I was 10th or 11th grade when I realized that I may have to run away from my home. Hmm. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the voice came and the voice said to me, the best revenge, and I hung on to that. I said, yes, my family deserves revenge because I'm going to have to be on the street. Mm. It said the best revenge is to have the best life possible, mm. do good things. And all of a sudden, peace came over me. And these were things that I wanted to do. It said you are to be a teacher who not only tries to help kids, but tries to save them. Now, mind you, a 10th and 11th grader does not say things like that. Right. Okay. And so it was what I wanted to hear. My family, my mother specifically suffered from clinical depression. My father and mother were in the home. We had a clean house. I had good food to eat. There wasn't violence per se, but my father was working two jobs. My mother sat and drank. The first thing I can remember her saying to me is, I gave up nursing school for this. Wow. So she was a very sad person, and my house was totally silent. I knew then that I had to get out, that I didn't want to live like that. And out of the children, I was the only one that made it. And I wasn't, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that that voice was God. Mm. And it was what I wanted to hear. And I said, yes, I can do that. And peace came over me. And and it worked out all right. But from then on, I knew that I was not going to have to be pushed out on the street. I did not have to run away. And I was grateful. And I owed. And I instantly identified with every kid that had gone through any sort of turmoil. And that became my life passion to help kids. Wow. Thank you for reaching out. So what advice would you have now for an author looking to get out there and write and publish their first book? I would just start. I, I have people who ask me that all the time. I had a mandate. And so at some point I knew I was going to have to collect all these experiences and specifically lay out how I was going to help kids in American society. So that sort of pushed me. I'm still working with people in crisis. And sometimes I will say to them, you need to write some of these experiences. Mm. 
and how you are getting through them. And they always say the same thing. What, what should I do? What I say is start just typing away. Sit down at your computer one day when you feel like the ideals are there. Don't put it aside. You don't have to make big preparation. You don't have to turn the TV off. You don't have to put candles up or anything like that. Mm. Just start typing until you can't type anymore. Doesn't, don't worry about the grammar. Don't worry about the sequence. Well, Sharon, thank you for your heart for kids and for your pay-it-forward attitude. It's called Misery Traps, The American Family by Sharon Washington. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can find it everywhere on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Sharon, thank you again for chatting with me here tonight. I had a really nice time talking. Thank you for having me. Childhood antics in the presidential mansion are at the heart of the new book by D.G. Lester titled Quentin Roosevelt's White House Gang, The Greatest Place to Play. D.G. is kind enough to be joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. D.G., thank you for talking tonight. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. This sounds like a really fun book. Can you tell me what it's all about? When Theodore Roosevelt was president, his youngest son, Quentin, had a number of friends that he went to school, public school with. One of them, in fact, was Charlie Taft, the son of William Howard Taft. Teddy had named these boys the White House Gang, and he gave them the attic of the White House as their gang headquarters. <laughs> and these little kids got into everything. These are true stories, although this is a historic fiction and I, I will tell you how that came about. When the little boys were playing together, one of the little boys was Earl Looker, who grew up to be a journalist and an author. When they were grown, they all went off to World War I. Quentin was killed in that war. And so several years later, they went to Sagamore Hill and talked to Edith Roosevelt. And they were reminiscing about their childhood days. And Earl put the stories sort of together into this book called The White House Gang, which was published in 1929. And it's a thick book. It's really delightful. But it's long since been out of print. A number of years ago, I wanted to revive these stories. So I began by deciding to focus on their last year together, when I assumed most of the big adventures happened because they were older and they could ride their bikes all over town. <laughs> I had to go through the book, which was not in chronological order. So I had to pinpoint using letters from TR, using a number of resources, including the White House curator. A lot of people got in on this oh, wow. to pinpoint when things happened. And those were the stories I selected. But what makes it a uh, historic fiction is we don't know all the conversations right. or events around a particular thing that happened. And so those are created keeping with the personalities of the kids and TR and the things that we know were going on at that time. Wow. Sounds like so much fun. So have you written before? What's your writing background like? I have been writing since I was in fourth grade. Mm. I wrote the little news for the little, our little school classroom. And since fourth grade, I have been a writer. As an adult, I spent 20 years as director of education at the Parthenon here in Nashville. I have worked for magazines. I've written for children's magazines, academic journals, two encyclopedias, 
this is my sixth book, wow. although this is my, my first children's book. I love writing. I've just finished working on an art book with an artist, Ephraim Urevbu, which is just powerful paintings. And so I've just finished working on that. So I, I like to have things going all the time. <laughs> well, I can tell this is going to be a really, really fun read. It's called Quentin Roosevelt's White House Gang, The Greatest Place to Play by D.G. Lester. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing, and you can find it everywhere at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, D.G., I had a great time chatting. Thank you so much for stopping by the show tonight. I enjoyed it. Thank you. The Stand in the White Oak is the new book in stores right now by Joseph R. Lang. I'm really happy to be joined by Joseph right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Joseph, thanks for chatting with me tonight. Thank you. Can you tell me what The Stand in the White Oak is all about? The Stand in the White Oak is book 12 in my series of books. It's about a, a local Wisconsin country gentleman who was seeking permission to enter some land, and he entered upon an old farmer that had a lot of things going on in his life things he needed forgiveness for. It kind of shows how he obtained that forgiveness by uh, kind of walking through the whole process. And what gave you the idea for this book? I used to do a lot of turkey hunting over by Pierce County in western Wisconsin and, and met a farmer over there that I also had asked permission to access his land. And by having conversations with him about his life, and uh, I just sat down one, one night and started to write on it. You said this is book 12 in this series. What's the secret to the longevity? How do you keep things going? How do you keep things fresh? Well, I, I usually try to contemplate. I, I've always been an observer of life. I like to notice things that oftentimes other people don't seem to pick up on because of the haste of the day or the pressures of life. So then I'll, I'll sit and, and think on a, on a subject or something will come to mind when it's really quiet. And then I, I just start typing. I start filling in the gaps. You're obviously a seasoned writer. So what advice would you have for new writers, for somebody maybe who hasn't published yet, who's looking to just complete their first book? I would tell them, write for yourself. Don't write for others. Uh, don't write to make money. Although, you know, you will set, you know, you'll sell books. I, I've sold a number of books, but don't write for that. Write for you. Write to paint a picture for others to read. That's the best advice I can give others. Just write. Just put your thoughts down and proceed with your book. Yeah, that's some good advice. Has your process in writing changed since your first book now to book 12? Has anything about it changed? The first three books... I had labeled the Thoughts Trilogy. They were, I tried to write short stories so that people are so busy nowadays, they don't have a lot of time to sit down and, and read long, long chapters. So those first three books were, were short stories. Then after that, I moved to the Dr. Trevor Knight mystery series of which there was five books. And that was more of a a mystery series where, but again, I kept the chapter short so people can read, put and put it down to get a, get on with their life. The Stand in the White Oak follows that same principle that people can pick it up, have a cup of coffee, read enough for the day, put it down and, and come back to it. They don't have to sit there and read for an hour just to get through a, a single thought. 
Yeah, that's important. It's harder and harder anymore to find big chunks of time. So uh, looking down the road, is there a book 13 in the works or are you writing something else? There's a, a book called The Second Chance. It's coming out hopefully in March. It's uh, kind of a story of a two gentlemen that have known each other for 41 years and and they're both heading to the sunset of their careers and, in fact, the sunset of their lives and how they interact with each other and how the big picture of life has a surprise in store for both of them at the end. Joseph's book is out there in stores right now. It's called The Stand in the White Oak. It's published by Covenant Books, and you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. And it's written, of course, by Joseph R. Lang. Joseph, once again, thanks for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time chatting. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Author Kay Sadler is joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Kay, thank you for joining me here tonight. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You've got a new book out, and it's called More Than My Skin, Why Being Black in America is Hard. Can you tell me what this is about? It speaks a lot about what's going on today and dealing with a lot of people are judged by the color of their skin before the character of the person is even known. And how have your background and personal experiences played into what you've written? I've dealt with a lot of it being biracial. Some people think that I have it good because I'm a certain skin tone or that I have a privilege when that's not necessarily true. I deal with a lot of things that African-Americans face and I've dealt with growing up. I've dealt with even within my own race having problems because of the fact that my skin tone is maybe lighter than theirs. So I've experienced quite a bit of it from both sides. So what inspired you or gave you the idea to actually sit down and write the book and then get it published? Talking to my grandmother and listening to a lot of stories and different things that she dealt with that were similar to me in my generation, I felt like it was needed for me to sit down, take the time out and really do my research and write a book about it. And maybe my voice one day would be heard to help others understand or that have dealt with similarities to what's in the book. Now, writing a book is hard work. It is often a long process as well. How long did everything take you to do? I'll say maybe eight months roundabout. How challenging was it for you doing all the research and then getting it all together and edited ready for publishing? It had its moments. Sometimes when you're writing, you get stuck or, you know, you might have to go back and redo a chapter. So it has its challenges for sure. But it wasn't too bad. Oh, that's great. So what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to get into writing their first book and getting published? My advice would be don't hold back. One of the things that I dealt with is being afraid if you were going to if you were going to sell a book. But if I had to give somebody advice, if one person buys your book, then you've accomplished a goal, a big goal, because you did something that you really wanted to do. And just don't let anything hold you back. Now, are you a first time author here? Is this your first published work? Yes, sir. Oh, congratulations. How's it feel? Thank you. It feels good. I accomplished a big goal. Absolutely. So are you looking ahead? Or are you thinking of doing it again? Yes, sir, I am. Oh, that's wonderful. Are you staying along these lines? Is it a follow-up or are you doing something different? Probably something different. I'm not sure. I'm working on a few things, but not sure which route I'm going to go. Now, when you hit a block or you hit a fork in the road where you have to make a decision, 
about writing and where you're going, or, or maybe, again, you're stuck for an idea, what do you do to sort of get that inspiration going again? Normally, I just take a break, honestly, because sometimes it's because I'm overthinking. Mm-hmm. And so when I take a break and get myself together and then go back into it, I find that I do better just kind of clearing my head for a minute, not trying to overdo it or get it all done at once. I, I, I had to learn that it's a process. It can't just happen overnight. Okay, I had a great time here talking with you tonight. Congratulations for having your first book out there now. The title is More Than My Skin, Why Being Black in America is Hard. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can get it everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, everywhere you buy your books. And again, this is written by Kay Sadler. Okay, thanks again for joining me tonight. I hope we can do this again soon. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me. Dr. Murtaza H. Syed takes readers into a mysterious realm filled with dragons, wizards, elves, and barbarians, and more. In his new novel, Scrolls of Arcadia, Dr. Syed is here right now with me at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Dr. Syed, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, and I'd like to start by saying I truly appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate you being here. Can you tell me what Scrolls of Arcadia is all about? Of course, it's about five scrolls that hold all the knowledge of the universe and were created by the one. There's an evil Lord Dodger trapped in an internal cage of fire. And if he gets his hands on all five scrolls, he will be able to free himself and rampage across the universe. Wow. Where did you get the idea for this story? Well, to be honest, I had a psychedelic trip where I was catapulted into the universe of Arcadia. I experienced the story myself, and when I came back, I decided to write everything down. Wow. About how long were you working on writing the book and then getting it ready to be published? It took me about five years altogether, but uh, putting it together towards the end was about a whole year. But Hmm. from the beginning to end, it was a five-year journey. And is this the first time you've published a book? It is my first time. After the experience, uh, I felt like I had a true out-of-body experience where I was in the mystical realm of Arcadia and I saw all the characters and I decided that the story was given to me from a power from above and that it was my duty to share it with the rest of the world. So I decided to go on my own hero's journey like Jeraraya in the book and present this story to everyone. Are you going to work on a follow-up maybe to this or are you writing another kind of book? I actually have part two in the works as we speak, and it is more amazing than the first one. I mean, it just seems to get better and better every time I sit down and write. That's fantastic. I love hearing the passion in your voice for your own story, and and I can tell that passion is going to bleed through to the reader's experience. Now that you've done this the first time, you've been on this writing and publishing journey, do you have any words of advice for somebody who's doing this for the first time? Well, I would definitely tell them don't hesitate and start working and stay focused and have fun while you do it. Uh, Enjoy your own hero's journey because that's what it is at the end of the day. Is there a person in your life that has maybe been most influential or inspirational or supportive to you during your whole writing journey? Yes, of course. I would say that Tolkien was a huge influence, uh, Rawlings, of course, as well. But I think most of all, my father, for he made me write a page of literature every single day. 
when I was a child up into high school. So I do appreciate him for that. How does it feel to be a published author? Has this been a goal for your whole life or is this just something recently that you decided to do? Well, to be honest, I like I said, since a child, I was always writing and I was always reading in the library. It didn't really come to me at first, but like at the end of everything, when I went through that whole experience, I decided it was time to set forth on this journey. And it wasn't difficult for me at all because I do enjoy writing. I do enjoy literature very much. And so uh, it was just uh, like um, riding a bicycle. Well, Dr. Syed, uh, we're really excited that you have this book out here, and we hope to see you more out there in stores. Again, this is called Scrolls of Arcadia by Dr. Murtaza H. Syed. It's published by Fulton Books, and you can find it everywhere on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, Dr. Syed, thanks again for coming on the show. I had a really nice time finding out about your book and meeting you. Thank you as well. And uh, just to end this, I'd like to say this is an amazing story. It's definitely for the family. Parents out there, do go get a copy, start a fire, get around the fireplace, and have a good time because that's what we are here for. And I think that they will enjoy the journey. Many children face bullying. It's a big issue. And author Robert Robertson empowers children through faith and courage in his new book, Fergus and the Monster. I'm happy to welcome the author to the show here tonight. Robert, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for this uh, honor. So this is a children's book you've written. has to do with bullying and faith. Can you tell me about it? I was actually wrote it in Scotland. I'm first-generation Scot. So we were over in Scotland at a uh, visiting. We had a clan meeting, uh, the Dunakee clan. We wound up on the Loch Ness. And I got to kidding with the uh, ticket seller there about seeing Nessie. And he said, oh, Nessie's a wee monster. He's not a big one. <laughs> and so a couple of days later, I put that together with uh, the name Fergus. And we were stuck in a um, cottage on the Isle of Skye. And there was a big uh, storm coming in off the North Sea. So I said, well, we better hunker down. There was a loft there. So I got in the loft, which was uh, where the children would play. And I was just uh, started writing. I had had experience with bullying as a child. I was, I was small, just started writing and writing and writing. And it was going on and on and on. And I said, Lord, you've got to help me wrap this up. I pushed it away. I looked out over the Isle of Skye and the wind was still blowing and the rain was still coming down. So I went downstairs and uh, made some totties, which are potatoes in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Thought about the book and how it could end it. So the next morning I woke up and I said, oh, I could have Nessie do such and such. And then I can always bring him back for another adventure by changing the season. And I uh, finished it up. When I got back, I talked to Covenant Books and we were just finishing up our first book, uh, Sticky Ricky, What Am I Going to Eat Now?, which is about the environment and taking care of God's creation. She said, oh, bullying is a very hot topic. And uh, so I sent her a copy and Covenant loved it. So uh, we went ahead and published it. I've had a very good response for it. I actually use scripture for to love one another out of Deuteronomy and Luke. And Deuteronomy 31.6. And Luke 6, 27, where we're to love one another, not bully one another. But actually, little Fergus, he um, is bullied in school. He learns how to dodge, run, and evade his bullies. 
he meets up with Nessie and Nessie encourages him to use those abilities to go ahead and play football. And through happenstance, by befriending Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster, he's noticed by the coach, and the coach uh, gives him a try on the football team. And by the end of my story, uh, he's accepted. So we're to use the God-given talents that God has given us to make our life better and the life of our teammates and our life mates. And uh, my wife does the illustrations, and I just get inspired by God to take and go ahead and, and write. And I've done three books actually now, Sticky Ricky, then Ferguson the Monster, and I've done one, uh, The Birds of Covey Island, and, but we haven't published that one yet. This is out in stores now. The title is Fergus and the Monster. It's by Robert and Marion Robertson, published by Covenant Books. You can find it everywhere you shop for books, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, Robert, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a wonderful time talking. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Backpacks take on a life of their own in the new book in stores right now by LaToya R. Thompson, titled Benjamin's Bossy Backpack. LaToya's chatting with me right now here at the show. LaToya, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Corey. It's so great to be here. I love the name of this book, Benjamin's Bossy Backpack. Like I said, backpacks are taking a life of their own in this book. Can you tell us about it? <laughs> Absolutely. This is one of those moments where just as an educator, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to teach children about how to care for their personal belongings. So often we, we teach kids about, you know, the, the golden rule of treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm. But where we don't teach them a valuable lesson is in, well, what happens to the things that really don't have life, but we can kind of personify them <laughs> to give you a, an understanding of the things that we do have. We want them to last for a while. So why not make sure that we're teaching kids how to take care of those items as well? So this is a unique way to introduce that concept to children. It is very unique and a very important lesson as well, because I know my kids don't take care of any other stuff, so they need this book. <laughs> I've seen it even from my own son. <laughs> Was there anything in particular that spurred you or inspired you to sit down and write this at this point in time? Well, I think just thinking about, again, I'm a classroom teacher, so I teach second grade, hmm. and I often see my students when we were actually in the physical brick-and-mortar building they would come in and they throw their, their backpacks into their locker or they dump it off on the floor. And I just think, you know, your parents paid a lot of money for you to have that tool. Mm. <laughs> it would be awesome to just see you take better care of it. And then when I started thinking about even my own son, and I see him doing some of those same habits as well around the house, and I just thought, you know, I think there's a different way that we can approach this just mm. if we make it fun for those young children. And so that was kind of the inspiration behind, let's take this from a different perspective and see what we can do to get them thinking about how to use their materials in a different way, in a better way. I love it. You'd mentioned second graders. Was there an age range you had in mind? Right around second grade age, but kindergarten as well. So I would say probably ages four to nine and the parents of those children because they seem to enjoy just objects being personified the most. Well, Latoya, first of all, I love your passion for your work and your creativity, the way you're personifying backpacks and pencils and, and things like that to reach kids because that's what really reaches them. Absolutely. 
just it's just something that you see, particularly from an educator's perspective, that in order to get children to really become engaged in the learning process, sometimes they need things to feel magical or almost unreal in order to to dream, to believe that, you know, this can be something that's possible for me to fulfill. So I like the idea of just being able to bring something to them that draws them in, and it draws them in in a magical way, too, that just kind of makes them feel like they can take on the world, too. You know, it's a big, wide world around them, but it's nothing within it that you have to really be afraid of because there's always a different way that we can still tackle even the tough issues, but in a very loving type of way. Yes, thank you for using your gifts and your creativity and your experiences to bring these messages to kids that are so important. And especially as a parent, Latoya, thank you for writing these. (laughs) They are needed. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, Again, this is called Benjamin's Bossy Backpack. It's by Latoya R. Thompson. It's published by Fulton Books. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, LaToya, thanks again for coming on the show tonight. I had a really nice time talking. Thanks for having me, Corey. What a pleasure. Author Patrick O'Farrell's new business leader handbook is in stores now. It's titled War Room to Boardroom, Leadership Lessons from West Point's Warrior Class. Patrick's joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Patrick, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for having me, Corey. So War Room to Boardroom. Now, this is a collection of wisdom, correct? Yes, it's 14 West Point graduates who've uh, reached levels as high as Johnson & Johnson, chairman and CEO, sharing their leadership lessons, about 56 leadership lessons in story format. How did the idea to collect all this and put it out for the world, how did that all come about? Well, I, I went to the War College, the senior service school, And they had us do a walkthrough of Gettysburg and our instructor, a colonel who was giving us the tour, talked about Colonel Chamberlain and how he wrote about his story. And it turned into Killer Angels and a movie. And then the just as heroic person, Patty O'Rourke, was on the other side of the battle and received the Medal of Honor, but he hadn't written it down. So there's a few bars about in New York City with the name Patty O'Rourke, but I thought, you know, I really want to write down, talk about my classmates and the contributions they've made because it's a uh, it's pretty impressive bunch of folks, and and I, I'm really proud to have known them. Wow, yeah, that's great to take that wisdom and preserve it and make it available to the rest of us. Thank you. So about how long were you working on this? About three years. I would write it, and being real people, I would want I didn't want to say something wrong, so I would do my best and then run it by them and get their blessing and then work on it a little more. So it took a while. Have you been published before this? Yes. I wrote with my father. uh, We wrote a novel called West Point Warlord. Mm. It was novel format, but it was capturing some of my uh, experiences in Afghanistan when I deployed over there with the army. Uh, Are there more books in you? Are you thinking about writing more and getting more published? I'm working with an entertainment attorney on a Netflix series of the West Point Warlord because it has uh, some things that are kind of applicable to what's going on now with, you know, not only uh, our adversaries around the world, but also the domestic terrorism and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to keep writing. And Pat Haggerty, who joined me in writing this, is a professional writer and 
he's got quite a story himself, but he was a great asset in putting this book together. Now, writing a book is hard work, and publishing a book is hard work as well. Do you have any words of wisdom for first-time authors, for people who want to get their feet wet in this whole publishing game? My advice would be to really, if you believe in it, it's less painful. If you really believe in your product, because you'll get a lot of no's. And one little tip that I had when I first wrote this book, the title was Warrior Class. And it was talking about my classmates from West Point. But every time I described it to a publisher, I kept using the term war room to boardroom. And so I'm like, how come I keep saying that? Why don't I just title it like that? So sometimes when you're trying to pitch it to publishers, little nuggets like that will come out, which will help the book. Well, there certainly seems like a wealth of business wisdom that a lot of people can use. Again, it's called War Room to Boardroom, Leadership Lessons from West Point's Warrior Class. It's written by Patrick O'Farrell and published by Fulton Books. You can get it everywhere at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. And Patrick, thanks for coming on the show. I had a great time talking and look forward to maybe doing this again soon. Sounds great, Corey. I really enjoyed it. Author Ted Even is my guest now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Ted, thank you for joining me tonight. No problem. It's my pleasure. Now you got a new book out. It's titled Answers for the Honest Skeptic, Answering Skeptic Objections to Biblical Christianity. So you're talking about spiritual truth in this book. Can you tell me more? Sure. One of the basic things that I do go over is... One of the common misconceptions skeptics have towards the God of the Bible is that they fail to understand just how perfect in his character he is. In the beginning, all that he created was absolutely perfect, and all he ever wanted with us was an eternal loving relationship. Of course, he gave us a free will, because that's what his perfect love demands, and because he gave us that free will, he couldn't do anything else. We disobeyed him, and he didn't really have a choice as to the consequences of it because of his perfect character, which he simply can't go against. And a lot of people don't understand that if God went against his character for even one moment, he would cease to be an eternal being, and none of us would even have a heaven to go to, if that makes sense. It's not even a choice for him to go against his perfect character, and I'm trying to help the honest skeptic understand why God allows all the evil and suffering in the world, and according to the Bible, it all came from the disobedience of man, the sin of man, which invaded God's perfect creation totally against his will, and yet we hear so many skeptics blame God for all the evil and suffering in the world. But that doesn't make any biblical sense if, in fact, we did it all against his will. Hmm. So how did the idea to write this and, and publish it for the world come about? I've been a Christian since age 18 and have always had a desire to help people get to know the real Jesus because so many people out there only know a fictitious, unbiblical Jesus. They fail to understand the perfection of his character, like I said. Mm. So I'm trying to introduce them to the real biblical Jesus and help them come to know him in right relationship and enter his awesome eternal kingdom as a result. 
Are you experienced in writing and publishing, or is this your first go? The first part of your question, I'm an experienced writer, but this is my first go as a publisher. I've got all kinds of books lined up. It's just a matter of finances to get them published. Mm. It's a lot of hard work writing a book, let alone getting it published. How was that the first time for you? Well, there were some learning curves. The first time I went with a one-man publishing operation, I'm so glad I went with Christian Faith Publishers mm. because a one-man operation, all your eggs are in one basket, and if anything were to happen to that publisher, then the future of your book is pretty much limited. Mm. Now, this is a great book for skeptics. I would think this is also a great book for Christians who are looking to answer skeptics as well, because that's tough. You're exactly right, because what we see is not only a huge battle for the souls of unsaved men, but we also see equally huge the same battle to keep those in the professing church. And as true Christians, we all have to know what we believe. And even if we know what we believe, I find that most people don't even know why they believe it. Mm. And that's why some are falling away from their faith. So this work is really going to help the Christian to defend their faith in these last days we're living in. Yes, Ted, thank you for putting this out there and helping a lot of people. Again, this is called Answers for the Honest Skeptic, Answering Skeptic Objections to Biblical Christianity. It's by Ted Even, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, Ted, thanks again for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time chatting. Thank you for having me on. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.